0: Thank you for tuning in to the City Light West Council Bluffs Sermon Podcast. We are a church that exists to multiply disciples and churches that is located in Council Bluffs, Iowa. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org or follow us on Facebook at City Light West Council Bluffs and Instagram at City Light West CB. Good morning. Morning, everyone. Um, Chuck, thanks for that just warm introduction. And it's it's so cool. It was so sweet to just drive across the river this morning, uh, just to be with y'all. And um, I, I think it's it's really sweet anytime I get to visit any different expression of the city like family. Uh, you guys are a part of something that's really, really special, and uh, and I'm glad to be part of it as well. So it's really just, just a joy and a delight to get to be with y'all this morning. I am a little bit under the weather. Um, so, uh, apologies for any phlegm sounds and uh, and things that you experience here this morning that are unpleasant. Hopefully, Lord willing, we'll get through it. I have cough drops in my pocket if it gets dicey. Um, but yeah, so our, our our task this morning is to try to grasp the importance of peacemaking in the Christian life. Okay, so that's our task this morning. Um, and peacemaking is just something that is just so. Woven into my life, into my heart, and certainly my ministry now, as God has seen fit to do uh, over the last few years. So, as as Chuck mentioned, I do uh, primarily pastoral care and counseling. And so, with that, you know, 60 to 70% of what I deal with is conflict on a regular basis. And so, peacemaking is something that I have to employ in my ministry very, very often. I am married. And so I have to employ peacemaking very, very often in my marriage. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. I have a four-year-old, and I'm telling you, that is like, I, 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 don't, I don't know what it is, but I'm already having to do a lot of peacemaking with him, uh, unfortunately, on my side, right? Like, you know, because he kind of will drive me a little crazy sometimes, and I'll fly off the hinges, I'll react in anger, and then, no, daddy's got to come back, and we've got we've to make some peace. And then also, as an Oklahoma Sooner, now in Cornhusker land, Um, I have to stay sharp in this area of my walk. So, originally from Oklahoma. So, anyways, um, so peacemaking is our task here before us, okay? And uh, we read one verse this morning, but uh, we're going to hopscotch all over the Bible. So, kind of think of this as like a primer, and introduction to peacemaking. um, Kind of a theology of peacemaking, if we will. So, we're going to look at a lot of different texts that I think give us an understanding of how important this is and what it maybe can look like. So, But this is just like peacemaking 101, you guys. So we could talk for this about a long, 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 long time. So just get ready. I'll read out a lot of scripture references, and I'll read the passages for us as well. Some of them will be up on the screen. So feel free to just jot the reference down um, if you can't turn there fast enough. But we'll get there. So um, 17 years ago, I enlisted, uh, as, as Chuck also mentioned, in the United States Air Force. And so I shipped out to boot camp at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. And after I completed basic military training, I was then eligible to go into my training for my technical school, which was uh, to be a firefighter. And so here's the deal. If you're not familiar with the military, all the different branches of the military, they have these kind of core values, these distinctive traits that are to be true of you. Um, the moment that you take on that oath that you put on that uniform, not just while you 're wearing the uniform, but essentially for the rest of your life, because now you are a in my case, a representative of the United States Air Force wherever that you go, and so these core values are to be true of you so and in the Air Force, we have three, and they are integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all we do and if i 'm honest with you here this morning, uh, when I took that oath and Graduated BMT, and even when I graduated the fire academy down in San Angelo, Texas, I I, I got to be honest, they weren't like all firing hundred percent. You know, I wasn't batting a thousand uh, in terms of integrity and service, but you know, putting others' needs before myself and excellence and everything that I did. But yet, they were true of me that these were my core values. But there was a need to kind of grow in these, right? And in the same way, um, Christians. Uh, Did you know that you were marked at the moment of your conversion with uh, a set of core values, if you will, of character traits that are true of you and that now is incumbent upon you that it's responsible, that it's a responsibility of yours to grow in these and to live these out in your life. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus and you submit to him as Lord, then you now are an ambassador of the King. You represent King Jesus wherever you go. And you've been given not only eternal life, not only peace with God, not only freedom from the penalty and power of sin, and not only the spirit of adoption, but you've been given these traits, these markers, these core values that you need to walk in and grow in the rest of your life. And Jesus outlines them for us nice and neat in his first recorded sermon in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you're familiar with it. He launches into these right at the gate, and we call them the Beatitudes, right? There are these nine uh, traits that he kind of lists out, uh, and he attaches um, the—and Beatitude means blessing, and so he attaches this blessing to each one. As you kind of live this out and you walk in this way, there's this blessed effect, and so Um, what, what's blessed about them? Well, it's because when we're abiding in Jesus, when we're following Jesus, when we're trying to love and look like him and be near his heart and to live as a son or a daughter and an heir to the king, then that is the greatest blessing that a person could have made in the image of God. Amen. And so Jesus says at the beginning of that sermon on the Mount, he says, let me tell you about my followers. Let me tell you um, the, the kind of character they will be marked by and how that will be a blessing. And he goes through these traits and the accompanying promises with each one of them. And uh, they kind of flow in this very beautiful kind of sequential way. They build on each other. If you've ever looked at the sermon, on, we don't have time to get into that this morning. But in verse 9, he says, as Chuck read this morning, he says this. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And the word Jesus uses here, peacemaker, it's loaded with implications. Okay, Jesus didn't say blessed are those who are in a state of peace, or um, you know, uh, this isn't just a, a call to kind of um, tranquility and mindfulness and just the lowering of anxiety. Those are all good things, though. Um, this is an active descriptor that Jesus gives us. He says, "My disciples are makers of peace. The way of the kingdom is through peacemaking." There's action required of all of us, everyone in this room, who would follow Jesus on the narrow path to life. So we are not passive when it comes to peacemaking, friends. We are not passive. Jesus takes this need for peacemaking so seriously that later on in this very sermon, he says, you know, if you're coming to worship and you have a gift to bring or you just, you know, you're coming to worship, but you realize your, your brother or your sister has something against you, there's some unresolved conflict, some relational tension I want you to stop what you're doing. I want you to go and be reconciled. I want you to go and make peace and then come back and worship. So we can't even worship God rightly apart from this mission and spirit of peacemaking. So what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, before we kind of get into that, um, I want to give a little plug this morning. uh, Because I've been shaped tremendously over the last... Eight years at least uh, by the ministry of a man named Ken Sandy. So Ken, like Kendall, and then Sandy S A N D E. And I just want to encourage all of you guys to just look this man up and his ministry. So he wrote the book called The Peacemaker, which is kind of like the biblical guide to this that we're talking about today. So a lot of my principles and things that I'm pulling from certainly have been influenced by that. Then he started this thing called Peacemaker Ministries where they would actually train biblical peacemakers to go into um, churches that were threatening to split and tear apart at the seams or organizations, corporations, things like that. And so they did a lot of training. Uh, I happened to be part of a church in Orlando, Florida during my years there um, that uh, was uh, saved by this ministry. And so that became very much a part of the DNA of that church. And I was discipled up in that church as well. And so That's another reason how it got on my radar. Um, And then he started this other uh, arm of this ministry called relational wisdom. And so uh, peacemaking is largely about conflict resolution. Relational wisdom is just how do we live together wisely uh, so that hopefully you experience less conflict. But when we do, we have the tools now to navigate that. And so I just want to commend all this stuff to you. There's tons of resources um, and online trainings that you can do as well that will all help you in your pursuit of healthier relationships. Uh, it's phenomenal stuff. So his website is rw360.org. Um, stands for relational wisdom, 360.org. So they're saturated with Bible friends. They're they're practically helpful, and they incorporate just a lot of wisdom um, from different fields like psychology, sociology, and neuroscience, which we'll get into a little bit this morning because it's so fascinating and helpful. Um, but so there's there's my plug. There's my plug for free. I don't get any commission on that. Um And he gives away most of his stuff for free, which is another reason why I really love him. But uh, so taking some of my cues from what I've learned there, I think before we talk about what it means to be a peacemaker, let's distinguish two ditches we could fall into on this mission of peacemaking, okay? We could fall into the ditch of peace faking or peace breaking, okay? So um, let's talk about those. Peace fakers are those who kind of have a, a head in the sand type mentality, Okay, you get that image. Um, they got their head in the sand. These are those who would prefer to sweep conflict under the proverbial rug. Um, they would pretend to, uh, They would like to pretend that it doesn't exist. There may be emotions going on in there. There may be some anger, but you're not going to see it, right? They're going to stuff it deep, deep down. Um, we'll say things like, "Oh, we don't talk about that stuff in this family. We don't deal with that. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna deny it, and we're gonna flee from conflict." But on the inside, when we do that, those relationships, by not dealing with it, by faking this piece, they're rotting down to the core. It's subtle and slow often, but it is there. And I will say, this kind of represents a little bit of something we call conflict avoidant. And I think this can show up a lot of times in our communities that we gather in. So think of like our city groups. Okay, this is on my radar for in city groups. Um, now, if, if you are one who might kind of identify as that, as conflict avoidant, oh, I just don't like to do that, and we hear that from couples all the time, my wife and I are counseling and walking with, uh, let me just tell you this, conflict is normal, okay? Um, I don't think it's, you know, God's ideal, but in this, you know, in-between time, uh, you know, where we're still waiting for the fullness of Jesus' kingdom to come and be restored on earth, conflict is normal. Um, you get a bunch of people in the room, all with their own sin, and it's going to happen. Okay? And it's, it's, it's not bad in and of itself. You may have had experiences that were bad when it comes to conflict. And it can certainly go bad, but conflict is actually an opportunity. Okay? Just get that in your bones. Conflict is an opportunity. Conflict presents all of us with an opportunity to know and be known. To know the person across from us with whom we're in conflict with, whether it's a spouse, a child, a neighbor, a member of our city group, and to be known by them in a deeper, more intimate way in which love can grow and flourish and intimacy and all those things can happen. And this is the stuff that transforms you guys. So conflict is an opportunity, get that in your bones. So peace fakers, okay, one ditch. The other ditch is peace breakers and this is kind of like an opposite end of the spectrum. So this is not really a flight type of personality, this is a fight, like I'm gonna fight, I'm gonna fight to win. I'm going to blow this thing up before you even get a chance. Um, So they'll launch into attack just quickly whenever they're in conflict. There'll be a lot of blame toward the other party. Like, hey, if you wouldn't have done this, if you wouldn't have said that, then we wouldn't be here right now. So this is kind of all on you. Um, This is a shoot first, ask questions later type of mentality. Okay? Peace breakers. And it's equally destructive to our relationships. And it's far from this call of Christ because Jesus says we are And we are to become peacemakers, increasingly becoming peacemakers. So let me suggest to you this way, Jesus' peacemakers are those who have received the peace of God through being united through faith to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. That's what he's described as in the scriptures, right? The Prince of Peace. And now we move into the mess of relationships around us in order to make peace, okay? So peacemakers are those who have received peace from God through Jesus who is the prince of peace, and then we move out into the world, into our relationships, and all the brokenness that's there to make peace. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed. So regarding this biblical call to peacemaking, I want to look at three things today, okay? We're going to tackle it like this. Uh, Specifically, I want us to ask three questions of peacemaking, and we're going to look to God's word for our answers. The first question is, why is this a priority? Or is it? Um, so we're going to tackle that. Hopefully, since Jesus already said, blessed are the peacemakers, like we can already like kind of see where that one's going. But we're going to ask the question, why is this a priority? Secondly, uh, what gets in the way? What is our problem? And then lastly, we'll ask the question, well, then where is our power and our hope? So question number one, why is this a priority? Why does this matter so much or does it? What are the implications of the success or failure of this mission of peacemaking? Well, if you had a Bible, I invite you to turn to John 17. Um, We'll have it on the screen as well, I believe, here for you this morning, and I'm going to read it here just momentarily. But John 17, this is the high priestly prayer, if you're unfamiliar with it. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer that Jesus prays um, to the Father uh, for his church. That's us even here today as we're going to see uh, this is just before he is, he is set to be uh, betrayed, arrested, and ultimately sentenced to death. And we're going to pick it up in John 17, verse 20. Jesus prays this to the Father. He says, I do not ask for these only, meaning those who were before him, uh, those disciples who were with him in that moment, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, brothers and sisters. We're in that camp. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's that. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and that you have loved them, even as you loved me. Friends, Jesus prays that his church will be filled with peacemakers such that we'll become perfectly one. This, This unity, this harmony, so that the world may believe and know that the Father did actually send Jesus and that he loves his church. So the stakes are massive when it comes to peacemaking and it just cannot be understated or oversold. There is a powerful purpose to peacemaking before the whole world. It is a defense of the gospel. It's actually a defense. There's a theologian by the name of Francis Schaeffer, He's He's been gone for a while now, but he wrote a little book called uh, The Mark of a Christian. And this is such a sweet little book if you can ever find a copy of this. it's It's a little booklet, actually. It's only like 70-ish pages. A real easy read. And in it, he deals directly with this text, this John 17, alongside John 13 as well. Uh, but in dealing with this, this question of oneness in this prayer that Jesus prays, um, Francis says that the lack of this oneness that Jesus prays for in his church, uh, which would largely be to a, uh, due to a neglect of peacemaking in our churches, would literally give the world a right, not an excuse, but a right to say, no, I don't think Jesus really came. I don't think this thing is for real. So this oneness testifies to the reality of the gospel. And Jesus ties it directly to his incarnation when he steps out of heaven and comes down to dwell with us. As if the world could say, but I thought y'all said Jesus was prophesied to be the Prince of Peace. We don't see it. We don't see it. Why are, why are they still so divisive amongst themselves? Why do they often hit the eject button whenever relational strife or drama or disagreements arise? I don't don't think there's anything for me over there in this church. Um, And the church is a place where we get to hold up and and magnify grace, right? Like we're a people of grace, so we're not trying to bat a thousand. That's not going to happen. But it's also a place where that grace propels us into the mess of the brokenness around us and... Uh, to make peace so that the watching world may have proof that Christ Jesus came to earth, that incarnate love and peace stepped into our story to, to rescue and redeem his people. Amen? Yeah. So peacemaking should be among of our highest priorities, brothers and sisters. And the consequences of neglecting peacemaking, they're, they're tragic to our witness to a watching world. They're, they're right to, to look in and feel as if they want no part of this. Uh, but as the first part of Psalm 133, which uh, Chuck opened with uh, this morning, as it, this picture that it paints for us, again, we don't really understand maybe in this room all the illusions that was being, you know, the oil dripping down on the beard and, and the dew of Hermon and everything like that. Um, but the fruits of a life of active peacemaking and dwelling in unity, what the point of that passage is, is that it has this cascading effect that it kind of ripples out and it, and it covers everything and it brings blessing and life to everything that it touches. It spreads, it's, it's, it's alluring, it's attractive, it brings blessing. But this isn't easy, is it? It is not easy. This requires supernatural grace and if this is supernatural grace, then it kind of begs the question, doesn't it? What's our natural condition that often gets in the way here? What gets in the way of peacemaking? What are some of the barriers that want to keep that peace contained rather than to allow it to spill out and overflow on everything, as Psalm 133 kind of paints the picture of that brings transformation and blessing. So our second question this morning, what gets in the way? Why why is this so hard and messy when it comes to peacemaking? And how did we get here in the first place? And why do we keep ending up here, it feels like? I don't know if that feels like it for you, but it certainly does for me. Keep ending up here. Well, if you're familiar with the, the story of the Bible at Creation, in the beginning, thinking Jesus, Genesis 1 and 2, we, we observe this picture of perfect harmony in the garden, right? Harmony between God and mankind and man and man and, and man and creation. And, and it's, it's beautiful. There's shalom, there's this perfect peace, but it doesn't stay that way long, does it? If you know the, the scriptures and the story, Genesis 3 um, totally. And instantly, and division comes between God and man, and man and man and man and man and creation, and up until this point, our entire history has been littered with conflict and tension and discord. So here's our starting point. <clears throat> Peacemaking begins with you. It begins with me. Translation here: I am my biggest problem." I' can say that with full confidence. A godly approach to peacemaking begins with a sobering self-awareness of our own hearts and, the own conf- and our own conflict that's going on within them. Let's consider James chapter 4 verse 1. The apostle says this, should be up there, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What causes the fights, the things that we experience that are unpleasant? I don't know about you, but my instinct would be like, well, them, like they did. That's not what God's word says. Your passions are at war within you. Friends, a godly peacemaker has a high suspicion of self before any attempts to correct, engage, or address conflict in the other person ever begin. Ever since sin entered into the world, one of the fallouts has been, and you see this explicitly um, clear as day in Genesis 3, uh, the inclination, uh, the tendency for us to judge and blame the other person rather than accepting responsibility. We see that right out the gate, and it's still going on. That's the condition of my heart. So we'll be quick to judge and blame before we even consider ourselves in our own responsibility. I mean, have you ever been in a situation and maybe a conflict was stirring up and you made a snap judgment or you kind of jumped to conclusions um, when you felt poked uh, and you know kind of triggered into a conflict and that thing just snowballed like crazy out of control and, and you just flew off the hinges and said a bunch of things that you, you know you couldn't even stop as they were coming out and then the dust settles and you kind of like shake it off and you're dazed and you're like, wow, what? what even happened there? Like, how did I fly off the hinges? That escalated so fast. Well, Ken Sandy, my mentor, drawing from the fascinating field of neuroscience, which is just this interplay between the brain and our behavior, he wrote an article on this thing called Emotional Hijacking, and it's, it's such an important thing that we all need to know. It's one of, the, one of the gifts I love to give pretty much everybody I meet with, especially couples. And this emotional hijacking, it really provides a vivid example of that James 4, 1 reality at work within us. So to try to sum up what happens because of intense emotions whenever we're triggered, messages will get sent faster by the feeling and emotional part of our brain than the part of our brain where we rationalize, we, log- we, we do logic, we, we calculate risk, we ask ourselves good questions. Um, and the, the results, as Ken, Ken Sandy says, are this. Um, the quote, hopefully I'll put it up there on the screen. But Ken Sandy says this on this note. He says, they, meaning the researchers who discovered this, found that when the amygdala, that's the emotional part of your brain, is highly stimulated with intense emotions, it utilizes more blood and oxygen than normal, leaving less of both for the neocortex. This is where we reason. This deficit causes a corresponding decrease in our capacity for reasoning, for problem solving, and for impulse control. This can lead to a temporary loss of 10 to 15 IQ points. So yes, you really do get dumber when you're highly emotional. (laughs) So when someone asks you, what were you thinking after an emotional outburst, part of your answer can be, well, I was thinking with a lot less brain power than I normally have at my disposal. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's you have to laugh and chuckle when you hear it put that way. And that's what I love about Kinsen. He has such a, a marvelous way of kind of disarming some of our resistance to these things to communicate important biblical truths. Uh, but this is tragic, isn't it? I mean, who in this room has not hurt or been hurt like this? Um, I know I've been on the receiving and giving end more times than I would have liked to. Um, one... Example, whenever I'm teaching on this, that will forever I think be etched into my mind because it was just such a coincidental timing. uh, Was with my wife several years ago when we were living in South Carolina at the time, and I don't know this is probably so relatable. I know it was for me because when I shared this, I got to preach a message similar to this last week at another church in Omaha, and I had this couple come up to me that had been married for 48 years afterwards and said, "You know that example is so us." So I know I'm not the only one here, so it kind of gives me confidence, but. But so here's the situation. My We were both working at the time. This was before our son was born. And uh, my wife uh, was working a little later than I did. And so I was trying to pick up some of the slack and start, you know, cooking dinner um, just to try to serve our family. She, you know, did that so well for me. And so, but the thing about me cooking dinner is that, meant it was like a four-hour project because, like, I'm just not as, like, efficient as she is in the kitchen. And, like, I'm really – so anyways – so I had not been in there laboring forever by the time she came home, right? And I was working really hard and feeling real good about myself. I was like, yeah, I'm serving my wife. This is great, you know. And she comes in, and, you know, I, I try to greet her, and there's really no response. And I'm like, hmm. And she, you know, goes upstairs and, uh, you know, gets changed or whatever, comes down the stairs, and I ask her a question. And truth be told, I don't even remember what it was, but, I, you know, I said something and her response, I don't even remember what it was, but it was not what I wanted, okay? And so what happened? She immediately goes and sits on the couch, you know, probably pulls out a magazine, decompressing from the day. But in that moment, I wasn't aware of any of that. I was just aware that she had offended me. And so what happens? Well, I'm an emotional guy where my emotions on my sleeve, and so they're off to the races. And I'm instantly thinking of a hundred ways to get even, to, to match hurt with hurt, You know, to kind of get the upper hand and win this thing because, you know, how dare she, you know, after I'm slaving over the stove, you know, for umpteen hours or whatever like that, you know, not, you know, engage me in the way that I want. And so here's the comical thing about what, when this particular instance happened as opposed to other times. I had just returned from Atlanta where I had taken an advanced pastoral counseling class as part of my seminary training, where I learned a lot of stuff from Ken Sandy and was exposed to this idea of emotional hijacking. And so this was like fresh on my radar. And, uh, and, and thankfully, in this moment, as I was, you know, chopping and stirring or whatever I was doing, the Spirit began to engage with my heart, okay? And brought those things that were not far in the past fresh to my mind, And I was like, oh gosh, it's happening, it's happening, you know, like I could just see the train just going crazy off the tracks, but it's gone, I can't do anything about it. And so, so there I was, Um, there I was just, you know, just locked onto my wife, like eyes were like laser beams, right, just like, like I'm going to get her, I'm going to get her good. And so, and this is, this is just kind of how this stuff plays out. Um. But for any of us in here who may struggle with this thing called emotional hijacking, before I kind of get to the conclusion of that story, can I give us a checklist on how to get through it? Um, so if you kind of want to take notes here, hopefully it'll be on the screen, but here's just some simple ways to get through this thing called emotional hijacking that is so prevalent in our lives. First and foremost, take a break, okay? Like it's okay, and I know, like, especially if you're, if you're part of a relationship or you're married, um, like oftentimes, one of us is kind of conflict. We're ready; like we're we're not afraid of conflict. And the other person may be an internal process, or they may need to, like, have some time to really think about it. That's okay. Uh, I know if you're ready to go, you don't think it is, but it's okay, and it's actually a good thing for all of us. Most often, so take a break, do something different. Um, you know, research has shown for most people. If you just remove yourself from that situation in which you've been triggered and go get a glass of water and drink for 30 seconds, that usually can be all the time your brain needs to rebalance out so that you can start to think again. Because remember, the emotional train is, is, is off, the, it's off to the races and we're not thinking well, we're not asking questions, we're not calculating risk. Like if I say this, what'll happen? And if I do this, will that go the way I want it to? No, we're just, we're just going. So take a break, get a glass of water, slow down, let your brain balance out, and then ask yourself four questions. Just just four simple questions. First and foremost, ask yourself, what am I feeling and why am I feeling this way? And try to be honest and really, I know this is harder for some of us than others, but really try to ask yourself that question and reflect. What am I feeling? Why am I, I'm feeling angry. Why am I feeling angry? Well, she she didn't respond the way I wanted her to. She didn't, you know, She didn't, I didn't feel like she appreciated me in that moment. Ask yourself that. Be honest with yourself. Second, consider the other person. Ask yourself, what is the other person feeling? And why might they be feeling that? Okay, so I start considering my wife in this moment. And I'm like, good grief, she, you know, she's had a long day at work. She's been gone forever. Um, she's been stressed out about this upcoming event that she's planning for. Right, she just had to drive home in I-26 in Charleston, South Carolina, which is like the Hunger Games. And, you know, and she just barely makes it home, and she's probably tired. She's an introvert. She's had to be extroverted all day. She's, you know, she's probably tired. Odds are, because this happens all the time with us, she probably didn't even hear me. And it was just a misunderstanding, but yet I'm ready to fly off the rails. We start to consider the other person, and as you do this, I'm, I'm telling you, it starts to change your heart, and, the, and so the Spirit starts convicting me as I'm asking these questions and I'm considering my wife, and and then you ask the question: Thirdly, what do I want to do with what I'm feeling, and where will that lead? What do I want to do with how I'm feeling, and where is that going to get me? Be honest with yourself, and finally, ask yourself this question: What will I do instead? I'm going to put the question another way, what does God want here? These are powerful tools because, friends, on that night when I started doing this and engaging in my heart with the help of the Spirit because of these tools that I had just received, I went from steaming mad about this whole thing to tears streaming down my face as I considered the evil that was in me wanting to lash out and launch into attack on my wife, the daughter of the king whom I say I love and I know she loves me. Like, what is going on in me that over something just so trivial would just want to launch into attack here? Do this. It's helpful. I promise you. This stuff is so real, and it's a part of our everyday life, these matters of peacemaking. But we're going to constantly screw it up. We're going to be consumed with our own passions, as James 4 tells us, our own self-image, how we come across, our own idols that will devour those who we're closest to. And we say that we love so that our own evil in our hearts isn't exposed. It doesn't like that. So we're going to attack the other person rather than see our own neediness there. Our passions are what war within us. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, the same sermon we've been camping in all morning, he says, um, maybe you've heard this one, take the log out of your own eye first. Y'all heard that one? When it comes to conflict and you see that speck in the other person, it's like, oh, you used that tone. You shouldn't have used that tone. You, you said it this way. You shouldn't have said it that way. Jesus says, no, no, no. Before you go and start correcting and addressing the other person, like, there's a log in your eye. Like, so maybe you should get that out first before you run with this gigantic foreign object sticking out of your face that now you're going to, like, joust this person over. Um, Here's the deal. Here's what I think Jesus was trying to get at. I am most effective as a peacemaker in my marriage and in relationships when I am most suspicious and disturbed about what is going on in my own heart. Say it again, I'm most effective as a peacemaker in my marriage and my relationships when I'm most suspicious and disturbed about what is going on in my own heart, which I can actually have some insight to, right? I don't understand this thing like fully all the time. I don't think any of us do, but I can have some insight. I can ask myself some questions and do a little digging and see them like, Ben, what's going on inside of you? rather than assuming I understand the condition of the heart, the other person I'm in conflict with. I can actually have some insight here. So we start here. Listen, we, we've also got to acknowledge that we've got a lot against us here, just as people here in the 21st century uh, that we're living in today. Like our, can we just admit like our, our, our culture that we exist in is pretty divisive and toxic? Um, we have this thing called cancel culture, which is a norm now. And it, it's directly opposed to the gospel. Um, but yet it's something that we're all kind of being caught up in constantly. How much are we being shaped by that? And to what degree are we aware of it? Right? We've got to ask ourselves these questions. Some of us are getting played by social media algorithms, right? That are designed to keep us viewing the world from a, a predetermined box with a, with a certain set of labels and a certain range of influences. And we, we can't take the bait there. Additionally, we all have our own conflict stories, and this is huge. Um, we all grew up in families where this was done imperfectly. I guarantee you, all of us come up from families where this conflict was done imperfectly, but perhaps for some of us, it was done terribly. And perhaps for some of us, it wasn't done at all. And we've been shaped by that, right? We're not a blank slate. What is your conflict story? Truthfully, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a story worth exploring and a question worth asking, especially if this is an area of your life you know you need to grow in. Um, so take some time to do that, and do that with someone that you trust and that you know is for you. This is a great purpose of why we do you know counseling and why I think it's such a a great tool as well. So friends, peacemaking starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with our own self awareness, and that self awareness should prove to us that we're completely powerless to do this well on our own. Okay, we have a log in our eye. We need help. We need transformed hearts. We need renewed minds, and we need weapons of grace, I'm going to suggest. So where does our help come from? Question number three, where is our power? What is our power and what tools and weapons do we have in this fight? how do we who are in such desperate need often of reconciliation then become reconcilers? And what's our hope? So if we're the problem, if I'm the problem, then we all must require some fix outside of ourselves, right? I mean, we're not gonna like go get a self-help book here and fix this and clean it all up really quick. We all have corrupted hearts and desires and we need to be made new. And God has good news for us on that this morning. In uh, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul um, writes this beautiful letter explaining to the church kind of how they became the church, all right? That's what he takes chapter 1 and 2, and he explains how, you know, these people who were opposed and were enemies of God have now been made children of God, and, and that that's only possible because of the love of God who comes to people who are dead in their trespasses and sins, and he raises them to new life and faith in Christ and he unites them to Jesus such that we finally have peace with God that's what he's getting at in chapters 1 and 2 of the letter of Ephesians and then in chapter 2 starting in verse 11 Paul moves from the fractured peace and harmony on uh, on the vertical plane between us and God to on the horizontal plane so us here in this room this morning between man and fellow man and he uses this picture of Jews and Gentiles and he says this Ephesians 2, verse 13 through 16. Wonderful words, powerful words in here. He says this. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hear this. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. This is picture of how God takes people who have everything different in the world and should not be existing in the same room together to making them family. That's what he's done. That's what he's doing here in this room, friends. Peacemaking is possible because of Jesus. It's possible because of Jesus. He is your power. He is your peace. What we need most, our our deepest need, is not found in the world, it's not found in conversational tactics or conflict management tools, it's not found in emotional intelligence, it is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. We need Jesus, we need transformed hearts, we need him to come and reign in our hearts. We need the Prince of Peace. We need the fruit that comes from abiding in Jesus and realizing all that we have in him. That's why we come and sit here under the word and we learn and we listen. We want to learn and be shaped by, like, what do we have? Like, what is it? Everything that we've been given in Christ, in Jesus. And if you hear these words this morning and you are in Christ, you have become partakers of the divine nature. And Christ has given you his Holy Spirit and all the abiding fruit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness and self-control I challenge you look at that list and tell me there's one thing that you don't need for peacemaking you need all of it and you have that spirit if you're in Jesus you have that spirit residing in you empowering you to live to become and to live as a peacemaker we suggest to you this a good indicator that you're growing in maturity as a follower of Jesus and in peacemaking is not simply that you're sinning against other people less though Praise God, like, let's, you know, let's pray for that. Um, But I want to suggest to you a different metric. Ask yourself this question. If you want to, am I growing here? Ask yourself this question. Am I growing in these two powerful weapons of grace, confession and forgiveness? ask that question. I think this is a a great indicator of our fruitfulness and our faithfulness in this mission of peacemaking. Confession and forgiveness. The giving away and the receiving of both. We're not going to stop sinning against each other in the sight of eternity, right? I I hate to break it to you. Um, Maybe, you know, you've cracked that cheat code and you, you know, have that figured out. Like, please let me know. Like, I would love to stop. Um, But it's just not a realistic metric, anyways, because one of the problems, one of the one of the challenges with sin is that it's blinding to those that are caught up in it, meaning that we're often ignorant of our own sin and to the degree with which we're inflicting pain and we're wounding and hurting other people around us with it. And may God open our eyes to that, but often in my experience, it's in hindsight, right? It's after the fight is over, it's after the dust has settled. It's after the Spirit has convicted us, and thus the invitation to us from the Father is to embrace these weapons of confession and forgiveness. Because when we do this, we disarm the powers of sin and hell that constantly work to sow seeds of division in our church, in our family, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our relationships. We should be the freest people on earth to confess our sin and not try to stuff it down or hide it or you know or, or or gloss over it. We should be the freest people in the world. It's for freedom that Jesus has set you free. And he has called you and enabled you to walk in this freedom. And we should be the freest people in the world to forgive as well. Because we have been forgiven. We have been forgiven in ways that we sim- simply can't even comprehend. We can't quantify. We can't put a number on it. The the degree with which the blood of Christ has washed us and cleansed us of all of our sin and the things that brought us and earned us separation and God's judgment upon us. And again, I want to tell you, so uh, when it comes to these things of confession and forgiveness, there's some really, really helpful tools to just even understand and comprehend what are they, how do we do them well? Um, Because confession, you know, is not just a simple, you know, just, oh, I shouldn't have done that. We, we admit specifically, right? We try to like literally own our sin and say, hey, I did this specifically. Uh, it hurt these people in this way. I see that. I've taken the moment to reflect on that and consider the other person and allow my heart to be affected by that. And so here's how I'm going to remedy this behavior. Here's what I'm gonna do going forward. It's a, it's a very humble, thorough process. So I, again, I refer you to Ken Sandy. He has this wonderful, the seven A's of confession. He calls them that kind of give you just a quick step by step of what a good confession looks like, and then forgiveness as well, um, uh, because that that's you know forgiveness is a is an agreement uh, that I'm not going to bring this up again. I'm not going to use this against you as a as a means to not love you and pursue relationship with you. And forgiveness, also friends, it's it's a heart posture. First off, it starts between us and God before it ever gets to. You know, me and Chuck, if 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 we, we've got beef or whatever. It starts between me and God recognizing I'm a sinner who needs forgiveness. I've received forgiveness, and now from that place, now I can go offer forgiveness. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing either, okay? I deal with this a lot with couples when there's been a, a deep betrayal or wound. Forgiveness does not mean I fully trust you again, okay? So... We need to sort through those, be discipled in that. Ken Sandy has great practical resources to help us there. But friends, when we walk in confession and forgiveness, we embody the gospel and we put Jesus on display to the world in a way that will transform and change our lives. And as we begin to dwell together in unity, it will ripple out and it will start to affect and transform those around us. Think of of your kids as they witness you now in your marriage doing something different where, you know where maybe you're a peace fakers or peace breakers in your marriage and now they actually see you making peace, that's gonna change and shape your kids and other relationships around us. Confession and forgiveness coming from a place of gospel understanding, understanding what Jesus has done for us and what he's given us, these will be the guardrails that will keep us from sliding into ditches of peace faking or peace breaking. Confession and forgiveness. Such, such powerful weapons. Friends, if, if you're here this morning and maybe you're not a Christian, um, maybe you're wrestling with some things here this morning or maybe you're even feeling convicted as we've just been talking about this, this is the invite from Jesus before you. It's to come. It's to come to him. He doesn't ask us to clean ourselves up before we come to him. He can break through any calloused heart and replace a heart of stone for a heart of flesh and, and give you this unshakable peace and joy that you don't have to go about this life by yourself anymore. You don't have to go about this thing called peacemaking in your own strength and power, which is impossible. You can have the Prince of Peace dwelling within you and the promise that all things will indeed be redeemed in due time by our great Redeemer. Thinking back to John 17, that high priestly prayer where Jesus prays for our oneness. I don't, I don't know about you, friends, but I, I take tremendous comfort in getting it in my bones and meditating and pouring over the fact that Jesus prays for oneness and peacemaking in his church. Have you considered that? Like Jesus actually prays for our peacemaking? Like the king of kings, the one who spoke and then there was praise for us in our peacemaking. Anybody want to bet against Jesus' prayer not being answered? Like That's so encouraged. That's so hopeful to me. That Jesus himself, he's interceding. He interceded and he continues to for us in our mission of peacemaking because it this gets directly to the heart of God and God's intent for us when he created us. This peace, this shalom, harmony, wholeness, and oneness. This is a mission and a prayer that cannot fail. It cannot fail. So where do we go from here? Well, as we land the plane, we're <clears throat> gonna look at two more scriptures, okay? Because I, I like the Bible. It's so helpful. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. We we're talking about Ephesians just earlier. The apostle then says this: he says, I, I therefore, after all this good news about how God made you one with him and with one another, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility, with all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity in the bond of peace of the Spirit. Second, Romans 12, verses 18, one sentence, if possible. Friends, so far as it depends on you, seek to live peaceably with all. I love the balance that God gives us here through these two passages, through the Apostle Paul. So we're urged to walk this way of peace and peacemaking and to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But Paul also recognizes that in our time of redemptive history, right, where Christ has come, He's, he's brought his kingdom, but we're waiting for the fullness of that to come when he Christ returns and makes all things new. We're not gonna observe, we don't observe or experience all the fullness of that yet. And so we do experience and we will experience hardships on this pathway to peace and, and peacemaking. So Paul says, so far as it depends on you, you can't control anything or anyone outside of yourself. Okay, that's both freeing and challenging. As long as people are involved, this is going to get messy. So if you've sought to make peace, if you've tried to live actively as a peacemaker, um, and you've done your due diligence, and you've tried to work on your own heart, and that's been met with a closed door on the other side, I just want you to know, like, Jesus sees you this morning. Um, If you've got a fractured relationship that you long to see made whole, Um, Jesus sees you. He is your peace. He is your hope. And I want to encourage you, don't give up there. Continue to pray. Continue to seek him. Continue to intercede and know that he is as well. Um, And continue to to, to strengthen yourself and equip yourself for this mission of peacemaking for such a time that, Lord willing, will come around. We have to entrust these outcomes to the Lord because He's the one who's going to right every wrong. He's going to bring his fullness of his justice and his peace to reign at his glorious return. And Also hear me this morning, if you're listening and you're feeling disturbed because maybe you recognize yourself as we describe those peace fakers or peace breakers, and maybe you're the one who's kind of, you've, you've kind of stirred up strife and conflict rather than peace. You've created division instead of harmony by your words or actions. I want you to listen to Jesus' words this morning that we referenced earlier Leave your gift at the altar. Drop everything. Go and make peace. Go and be reconciled. Take these weapons of grace. Take this renewed understanding of suspicion of your own heart and taking time to do the work in your own heart and go. And know that the grace of Jesus goes with you as you confess and as you repent of those things and turn and do something different. And bathe these things in prayer because only the Spirit of God can change a heart. Only the Spirit of God can change a heart. Only the Spirit of God can bring about the transformation and the healing that we need. And only God can make beauty from ashes. And He can, and He does. I've seen Him do it. Friends, by God's grace, let's follow our Prince of Peace with the empowering of the Holy Spirit and let's walk this way of peacemaking as His representatives, as we are so that a watching world may know and believe that Jesus Christ did in fact come, that he loves his church and that he will come again, so that our lives and relationships will be running over with this blessedness and new life as we dwell together in unity and in peace. Let's pray. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is not intended to serve as a substitute for gathering with a local body of believers, but as a resource that encourages and empowers you to follow Jesus as your heart is pointed towards the gospel. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org.